Hello, welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we are talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here. I'm joined by another pastor here who happens to be my dad, John Bruce. Dad, how are you today? I am grateful to be here. Grateful to be here. That's good. The air is cleared up. We can breathe. It's a good day. And it's football season. And it's football season. (laughs) Which is sort of okay with the spate of injuries the Niners have uh, just suffered. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll do our podcast on the Niners some other time. <laughs> but today we'll continue our discussion of, uh, on the habits of a disciple maker. Followers of Jesus are disciple makers. Followers of Jesus help other people become followers of Jesus. Disciples make disciples. A verse I was thinking about this morning is John 15, 6, where Jesus says to his disciples, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus is talking to the 12 and, uh, well, the 11 at that point, but he, he says that he chose them with a clear purpose, that they should go and they should bear fruit. And in context, fruit means more disciples. And I think Jesus' words to the original disciples can be applied to every Christian, to every disciples, that when Jesus saves us, he sends us. When he saves us, he sends us into the world on his mission. And Jesus lives within us to reproduce his life, his character in us, but also to work through us to reproduce his life in others. So just want to make that connection as clear as I can for you that are listening. If you've been saved from sin, You've been saved for disciple-making. So this is relevant to every single person listening. And so how do you make a disciple? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what we're talking about for the next eight weeks. We want to demystify discipleship by looking at the habits, disciplines, and practices of a disciple-maker. And we're using Robert Coleman's classic work, The Master Plan of Evangelism, as a springboard for this discussion. Coleman shows us how Jesus made disciples, and that gives us a roadmap for making disciples. And so we've looked at the first step in making a disciples, that's selection. Jesus made an intentional decision about who he would invest in. We need to do the same thing. Then we looked at the habit of association. Jesus picks people, then Jesus stays with them. He carves out time to make them his relational priority. So selection, association. Uh, Coleman gets a little fancy with today's habit, which is consecration. Jesus picked disciples, he stayed with his disciples, and then he consecrated them. Dad, what is consecrating? <laughs> I think it's simply Jesus expected his disciples to obey him. Yeah. It's just, this is probably the most difficult of the principles we're going to look at because of the times in which we live, and yet it's very simple. Uh, in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Mm. Uh, John 15, 9 through 11, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So as, as Coleman says, Jesus expected the men he was with to obey him. They're not required to be smart. They just had to be loyal. Yeah. It's a very simple principle, and it makes me think he should have called the chapter obedience, but it's clear he <laughs> needed to end each of his chapters with a shun, 
and consecration was the best one that he could come up with. And I empathize with that as a pastor. We, who have, needs we have done to. the same thing. I, I will not cast the first and, stone. And not, and not as gracefully. And not as gracefully as, as he did. But the basic idea here is that Jesus required obedience. That, that was a prerequisite um, of being his disciple, is that you were with him to learn how to live life and to be with the master, to do what he said. And, and that strikes me that, that the, the qualifier for, for a disciple wasn't uh, that you had this insatiable appetite for knowledge right. or, or learning, right. but that you were willing to do what the master told you to do. Right. Right. No, you were much more of an apprentice than you were a student. Hmm. Yeah, and that's a good distinction. What is the distinction between an apprentice and a student? Because I think that's clarifying for how we think about discipleship. Yeah, when you think of an apprentice, at least I think of an apprentice, I think of a craftsman, and he's passing on the skill of of making something to someone else, while a student is basically mastering facts, mastering knowledge. And so uh, a student shows his mastery by taking a written test, usually. Right. But an apprentice shows his, his mastery by, by doing exactly what his master does. Right. And I, I, so I think a disciple is far more of an apprentice, someone Jesus is teaching how to live as he lived. Right. And, and Jesus doesn't leave that up to us. He gives us very clear commands right. on how to live as he lived. Yeah. What strikes me about this, too, is how willing Jesus was to part with people who weren't willing to do this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Coleman said, uh, Jesus did not have the time nor the desire to scatter himself upon those who wanted to make their own terms of discipleship. And I think that's a, a very relevant quote for today. Mm-hmm. Because I think we've got we're we're very much do-it-yourself discipleship today. We we decide here's what being a disciple means to me, and this, so this is what I'm looking for, right? Rather than what does Jesus command me to do? Command me to do. Yeah, there's consumerism in that. There's yeah. the the sense that here's kind of the the product I'm looking for. Now, can you provide it? Yeah. Versus Jesus setting the terms. Yeah. And and I would encourage any listener to as you read through the Gospels, just look at how willing Jesus is to part with people who want to set their own terms yeah. for discipleship. Um, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. Well, foxes have holes, right? The Son of Man has nowhere. Uh, and so just making a great show with words and uh, isn't enough. Um, first, let me go bury my father, right? Uh, Jesus says, no, that's not the plan for today, yeah. uh, which would have been shocking for yeah. someone in the first century to hear. And, and so Jesus is is fine with parting with those who want to create their, their own terms. And, and what strikes me is that the disciples, um, they misunderstand Jesus all the time. In fact, they fail to obey all the time. But you see a willingness to keep following. Right, right. And there's grace in that. There's grace in every failure, but there's a willingness to keep following and a willingness to just try things when Jesus asks them to try. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and I think that's the great distinguisher between the disciples who stuck with Jesus and those who didn't. Yeah, I think so. And I think it was just, it was obvious who was disciples and who wasn't because Jesus was here physically. <laughs> so you were either with him or you weren't. You either following him where he was going. I don't think I want to go through Samaria. Right. I think I'll take the day off. You know? Yeah. It, was, it became fairly clear who was really following him as Lord and who was just kind of... Uh, along for the ride whenever it was convenient. Mm -hmm. It's not that clear today. 
it isn't because Jesus makes disciples through us. Yeah. And and yeah. so there's uh yeah, it is it is harder to distinguish that. Yeah. So Jesus has this focus on obedience. Um requirement of obedience. That's what it means. You're going to become like me by doing what I do. Right, right. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Well, I just think very simply, if we're not, we can't separate disciple-making from the commands of Jesus. If, if we're not keeping Jesus' commands, we're not his disciples. Yeah. And if those we are trying to disciple are not keeping his commands, they are not his disciples. Yeah. And this, again, demystifies the process, that right. we're really training people to do what Jesus commanded them to do, which is the Great Commission. Right. Yeah, it, it's important to remember that when Jesus says, go and make disciples, when he defines what that means, it's teaching them to obey or observe everything that I have commanded. He does not say teaching them to study everything I commanded. Right. And I think that's substituting the student model or the academic model for really the apprentice model. Exactly. When we say the goal is to deepen our knowledge of Jesus. Yeah. Now, nothing wrong with deepening our knowledge of Jesus, but there is a very, I think, dangerous misconception that can be slipped in there, which is that the point was just to grow in the depth of my knowledge. Right. Uh, unapplied knowledge, though, is another word for immaturity. Yeah. Well, one thing Coleman said, he said talking about the disciples, their capacity to receive revelation would grow provided they continue to practice what truth they did understand. Hmm. Obedience to Christ was thus the means by which those in his company learn more truth. I, I think we have the idea that, that you can keep learning without applying, but that was unknown uh, to Jesus and his disciples. The idea was you learned as you did. Yeah. You learned as you performed. You learned as you obeyed. And as you obeyed, that opened you up to more learning. Right. Yeah, and, and the kind of knowledge that's being talked about there is the practical knowledge, the experiential knowledge of how to do things, how to trust God in these situations. How exactly. To, how, to, how to minister like Jesus would, would minister. Yeah. And so I think uh, at this point, it's, it's helpful, and we're kind of already moving into implications for discipleship here, but don't think about discipleship in terms of studying the Bible. Think about it in terms of becoming like Jesus by obeying the Bible. Yeah. And that being the focus, um, because a lot of what passes for discipleship, we, we could just call Bible study. Yeah, exactly. And it makes me think of a story that uh, a pastor, Jeff Vanderstelt, told about a guy who complained uh, that there weren't enough really in-depth Bible studies at his church. And uh, he really wanted to go deeper in the Word, and he wasn't getting that. And so... Jeff kind of went, oh, okay, well, what was the last book of the Bible you studied? And he said, well, we, we studied James. And he said, well, that's great. So, man, how are you caring for the poor now? Um, widows and orphans, how are you serving them? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and just went through all of the commands of James and said, well, how are you living these things out? And, and the guy said, well, I, you know, I'm not doing any of that. I never really thought about that. And, and Vanderstadt asked, he was like, well, I thought you studied James. Yeah. And it just shows this disconnect yeah. um, between what people think the purpose of Bible study is and what the actual purpose is, which is to observe exactly. what Jesus has commanded. And I love what Vanderstelt said. He said, maybe you should go back and study James again. <laughs> yeah, and that's good. Because why would you profit from going and studying another book when you haven't applied this one? Yeah, 
oh, you're just good. accruing more knowledge that you haven't applied. And I think that's a great danger yeah. for Christians. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He, the, the, the contrast between the wise builder and the foolish builder is not a contrast between people who study their Bible and people who don't study their Bible. <laughs> it's, it's a contrast between people who study their Bible and obey what it says and people who study their Bible and don't obey what right. it says. So it yeah. means you can be a Bible scholar and still be building your life on sand because you didn't do what it said to do. Right. Sobering. Sobering, yes. So let's get a little deeper into implications here because here's, here's a potential objection I see. Jesus requires obedience. Right. Well, he's Jesus. He's the Lord. Uh, and he can rightfully make claims on our lives right. and demands because he's the, the ruler of creation and he be, he's the owner. Um, we aren't Jesus. So what does this mean to apply this in our discipleship? relationships, um, right? We, we can't require obedience in the same way Jesus can. So how does this translate? Well, if I'm following Jesus, right. and Jesus says, submit yourselves to one another mm-hmm. in the fear of Christ, if I'm not submitting myself to other Christians, especially older, wiser Christians who are telling me what the Bible says, I can't really claim to be following Jesus as Lord because I'm not doing what Jesus told me to do. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that was a Jesus juke right there. Yeah, you just right. pulled, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. But you're saying they go together. Yeah. That, that learning from another Christian and is um, how we learn to obey Jesus' commandments. Um, but I think that should be distinguished, right, from um, sort of a weird authoritarian uh, discipleship relationship. Because I think some people could translate this as, you know, you get an older person in the faith, and and they say, well, I don't like that person you're about to date. And yeah, I have no real good biblical reason for it, but they just have a preferential reason for yeah. it. Uh, to me, that that's kind of creepy. Uh, in terms yeah. of there's 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 a there's there's a limit to the sphere of your uh, authority in yeah. this, right? Yeah. No, I really I always go back to Ray Stedman's definition of legalism. Yeah. And and Stedman said that that if I can remember this off the top of my head, but I think Stedman said that that New Testament Christianity was commands based upon the New Testament, mm-hmm. done in the power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. done for the glory of God. Right. And if you violate any one of those three, you have, no longer have Christianity, you have legalism. Right. So if we're, if we're giving commands that aren't in the Bible, right. that's not Christianity, that's not discipleship, that's legalism. Right. If we're calling them to obey them out of guilt yep. or in their own strength, that's, that's not Christianity. Right. That's legalism. And if it's for any other reason than for the glory of God and for his purpose and fulfillment, that's legalism. So if we just keep that definition, I think it saves us a lot of problems and a lot of abuses of this. Right. Yeah. So you are initiating a relationship with a person, selection, intentionally investing time, creating um, time, and then you are doing this for the purpose of obeying Jesus together. Yes. Yeah, I think a disciple-maker is much more of a personal trainer than a professor. Yeah. In other words, you're, you're trying to help them to get in shape spiritually and, and practice what Jesus would do, what Jesus says to do, Yeah. rather than just imparting knowledge. Yeah. I, I remember a coach at one saying something like, my job is to 
get people to do what they don't want to do to become who they want to become. Right. Tom Landry said that. Yeah. It's good. Some of you younger people who don't know, that was one of the uh, classic uh, Dallas Cowboys coaches back when the Cowboys were very good. He also wore a fedora, which just makes him pretty cool. Didn't he? Didn't he have a hat? Oh, yeah. 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 Fedora. He probably wouldn't be allowed to do that. Dad, I don't think the (laughs) listeners realize how easily (laughs) this podcast could go off the tracks into a podcast about <laughs> sports. I mean, we are on the bleeding edge all the time. Okay, so w- we are doing this with the purpose of training people, helping people to obey. So then, what kind of practical tips can we give someone who wants who wants to start this this discipleship relationship to, to make the focus on obedience and not just knowledge? Yeah, I think understanding that we grow. Through the, uh, the, the, the through obedience mm-hmm. and through the commitments we make, rather than the unapplied knowledge, so right. you start with that. You have to start with that idea that right. my goal here is to help this person to obey. Right, and therefore I I need to give specific assignments. Yeah, and and see how they follow through on those. Right, and if they don't follow through on them then that's probably not the person I'm going to invest a lot of time in. Right. not really ready to be a disciple. But I've got to have some kind of criteria to see, are they doing what we're talking about or not? Right. And the most obvious one is just being prepared when they come to a meeting. Yeah. That if we're going to talk about this passage, they've read the passage. They've done the bare minimum there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they show up. And they show up. <laughs> There's another form of uh, yeah. yeah, action and response. Exactly. Yeah. I think a second thing I would, would uh, encourage is don't neglect application in Bible study. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really easy to have wonderful discussions about lessons we learn from the Bible. But if you don't get down to, okay, how is this going to be fleshed out? How am I going to practice this in the coming week? How are you going to practice this in the coming week? What are we going to do? Then we're missing the whole point of discipleship, so right. so to make applica- to really underline application as, in the scripture. As I notice in small groups, uh, small groups are notoriously bad about getting to application. Um, there's uh, the discussions are scraping the stars, but they never get down to how is this going to change the way I live next week. Right. So that's that would be another thing. Yeah, and that gets to the purpose of scripture, which we've talked about in previous episodes, that it is teaching. But then there's correction, rebuke, training in righteousness. Right. So correction, rebuke, training in righteousness are often the steps we bypass right. in studying the Bible, even though that's the purpose of Scripture is to do those things, is to convict us of sin, to show us where we fall short, where we need to trust Jesus, and then what trusting Jesus would look like in a given situation. Exactly. And until you have fleshed those things out, you don't have a, a game plan. I am just going to keep giving sports analogies. That <laughs> I, it is who I am. Uh, you have a game plan. You don't have a game plan for, for what you're actually going to do in the coming week. Right. Another thing I would add to that is you have to follow up. Yeah. Once you've said, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to pray. Here's who I'm going to have a spiritual conversation with. Um, yeah, okay, how to go. Yeah. You have to have an after-action review. And, and that's so true. I think it's important for the disciple maker to realize that his flesh will be adverse to that. Yep. Because we don't like to keep people, hold people accountable. We don't like to fail. And so if I can just see every 
interchange between me and my disciple as me preparing, me imparting this knowledge, and them not having to do anything, I'm in control then, and I can feel like I'm accomplishing something. But as soon as we talk, start talking about how the disciple responds and are they following through, we find out if we're really accomplishing anything. And that's why you just understand yourself that, that there's going to, every week it's going to be difficult for you to hold this person accountable. Yeah. Because it's basically saying, you know, are you doing your job as a disciple maker or not? Right. It's good. I, I think a, a way of, of conceptualizing this, and this is from Mike Breen, who's just written a ton of stuff on discipleship, but, but he creates this matrix with four quadrants uh, having to do with invitation and challenge. And, and what he says is that discipleship always involves invitation and challenge. And Jesus, of course, is the greatest exemplar of this. Yeah. There's high invitation. Jesus would spend so much time with people who didn't deserve his time or attention. He was so gracious to people and so gracious to his disciples. They fail again and again and again and again and again. And so if you feel like a failure as a disciple maker, it's really encouraging to just go back to Jesus yeah. and see he's constantly working with these guys picking them up, dusting them off. Um, but there's also challenge all the time. There's a next step of faith to take, a next step of faith to take. And, and what Breen says is that the most effective disciple makers are high invitation, high challenge. Yeah. Yeah. High grace, high expectations in terms of what the relationship is going to look like. And, and he says it this way, that a high invitation, low challenge culture creates consumerism. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's always just you're welcome, 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 but we ask nothing of you. Then people think the thing itself exists for them, and they become consumers. Right. Right. Um, a low invitation, low challenge culture is just boring. It just creates apathy. There's no real connection at all. A high challenge, low invitation culture is stressful. It, it, it's, okay, I can't fail. I got to keep getting better, keep getting better. There's right. no grace. Right. Uh, and, and there's no possibility of redemption if I screw up. Yeah. Uh, and that's a real toxic discipleship culture. But if you have high invitation and high challenge together, you have an empowering culture for discipleship. Yeah. Um, and so you really need both. And I've seen people fall off the ledge both ways. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think challenge is probably one we're more guilty of in the West, of being so scared to call people to anything. Yeah that we just sort of hope that by osmosis and the power of my personality, I will sort of rub off on this person and they will become like me rather than like Jesus saying, here's the next step in obedience we need to take to grow. Yeah, yeah. And being very clear about what that is. Yeah. And if you're not clear from the beginning that this is what we're going to be doing, right? it gets more and more difficult to do it. Yep. You You have to... I, I like that, the high invitation, the very welcoming, accepting, right. affirming uh, side of disciple-making, but at the same time, you've got to be going somewhere right? or you're not making disciples. There's got to be some challenges. There's got to be some opportunities to fail and learn from those failures. Yeah, and, and I would say the clearer you can be about it, it's the front end, the less frustrated you'll be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I would also say, in terms of just practical uh, application, is to make sure you base everything uh, you ask them to do on the commands of Jesus. Hmm. And, and so much of discipleship, i found, is people listening to somebody share their problems 
and then proposing solutions for those problems. Mm-hmm. We call that discipleship. Yeah, we should call that counseling. Yeah, that's counseling. That's not disciple making. Um, but I think when somebody comes to you with their problems or an issue, the question to ask them, well, what is written? What does the Bible say you should do in this? Right. And let's go look at it so they can see that anything you ask them to do is is based upon a verse. It's based upon a command. It's based on something that Bible. So they know you're just not smart and and giving them your personal experience. But you're really saying, no, let's let's obey. We're doing this not to solve your problem. We're doing this so that you can be obedient to the scriptures. Yeah. The problem is just an opportunity to see, okay, what does obedience look like in this situation? What does faith look like in this situation? Exactly. How will it play out? Yeah. I, I think to demystify this further, um, I could imagine a listener getting anxiety that I have to have some grand plan about everything we're going to obey and how we're doing it. I think it's much simpler than that. I yeah. think it's really this. You're going to be in the Word as you're making a disciple. Um, that's non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, there, there's going to be time in the Word. It's really how you think about your time in the Word is how this comes into play. Yeah. If you think about it in terms of the accrual of knowledge, you're going to be frustrated. Uh, and they're going to be frustrated. Um, but if you think every time you're in the Word, the goal is to help them see, here's how I need to trust and obey Jesus in the coming week. You keep that in mind and then follow up on it. That's really, to me, where the rubber meets the road in how this works out practically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are there are some some obedience comes directly from the word. I study it, I learn it, I apply it. Mm-hmm. Other obedience comes from circumstances. I I hit a situation, I respond all wrong, right, and, and then I have to correct that and find out, and that becomes another teaching opportunity. Let's see what the Bible says. The way you should have thought about this, or the way you should have handled this. How will we do it better next time? Yeah, so there's proactive, yeah. and then there's reactive obedience. obedience. Right. But in each case, you're using these opportunities to think about next steps in trusting and obeying Jesus. Right, right. A couple of other thoughts I had. Um, I think encouraging prompt obedience um, and maintaining a clear conscience is real important. Mm-hmm. Um, that delayed obedience is disobedience. Once, once you know the right thing to do, you don't think about it. You don't have to... Tell that to my children. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, you just do it. And so helping your disciples to become obedient the moment they understand what obedience is, yeah. to maintain a clear conscience, just the, the, the blessing of having a clear conscience that I'm living yeah. before God the way he wants me yeah, to. I'm walking in the light. I'm walking in the light, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and just to help them to see that is really important, that it's not just to obey, but it's when you obey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's if, if God tells you you're you've got uh, the, you got a relational problem with this person, you need to go ask their forgiveness. Are you good? You know, you don't put it off three weeks, right? And then finally rationalize, well, I was obedient, but you you go and do it. Yeah, it's good. That would, that'd be another thing. I I think talking about the cross and self denial. Jesus says you can't follow him without taking up your cross and denying yourself. And so that it's just normal. The normal Christian life is having to deny yourself, say no to what you want immediately in order to obey Christ. And this isn't 
a challenge or unusual. This is just the Christian life, that people, they, your disciple gets used to having to say no to their flesh, no to their natural desires, in order to obey Christ for the long-term uh, benefit. That's, that's another, I think, really important part of teaching obedience. Yeah, um, I, I agree, and uh, just that gospel narrative of life coming through death, that's our pattern as well, that, yeah. that every resurrection we experience is preceded by a death, right. that, that something needs to die all the time in order for us to experience the life of Christ within us, or as Paul says in Philippians 3, his goal in life is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Right, right. That's the goal. What do I need to die to today to yeah. experience life? Yeah. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered, and, and so, so will we. Um, yeah, and who am I to think I will be any different yeah. as a slave of that master? Yeah, that's the way. It's just, our great problem is our own self-will. Yeah. You know, and... and uh, I can live a life uh, that looks very good to other people, and yet it can be totally lived out of my own self-will. I'm just doing what I want to do, mm-hmm. and I haven't really bent the knee to Jesus at all. Right. It's, it's only when I deny myself and, and, and do something simply because he tells me to do it that I know that I'm being obedient. Right. And, and I think it's important to teach our, teach our disciples that, that that's, that's the normal Christian life. Yep. Done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Good. Um, I, the, the other thing I think is, is that you, f- in 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 this consecration step, is focus on practice rather than perfection. Um, mm. I think to continue to say we're not perfect. Yeah, we're all sinners. We're all fail. We all fail. And, and the, the point is that you're practicing this to get better. Right. It's just like music or sports or anything. The goal is not to be perfect. The goal is to be consistent in practice so that we improve. Right. So improvement is the goal. Right. What'd you learn? What'd yeah. you learn? What'd you learn? And yeah. just keep that feedback loop going. Yeah. Um, exactly. But yeah, cheering on the, the small steps and not um, getting too hung up on the failures. Exactly. Is, is really important because the other thing that's important for people to realize, the minute you try to intentionally follow Jesus... Uh, the the forces of hell will come out <laughs> arrayed against you to try to stop you from following Jesus. Yeah. You are entering a war field the minute you decide to intentionally become like Jesus, because uh, now you're really on the you're you're actually uh, a danger <laughs> to the kingdom of darkness. Yeah, yeah. And I think what can happen is is that some of us can be hard to please. And so we challenge uh, our disciple to, to share Christ with, with his neighbor. And so he does it. He steps out in faith and, and tries to share Christ with his neighbor, and it's a disaster. Right. And, and his neighbor asks him all the questions. And instead of applauding the step of faith that he took... Yeah, that was a success. That, that is incre- that, that's the big thing here. The rest of this is just details. You'll, yeah. learn, you'll learn how to deal with this. We, we say, well, what you should have done is you should have said this, you should have said this, and you just leave them de- depleted and, and bleeding on the ground. Yeah. When you should have applauded, the, the most important thing they did was they obeyed. Yeah, I, I remember 
you know, sports as a kid, when you get chastised for things that were never explained to you, yeah, it's the most debilitating thing yeah. ever. Yeah, there's no room for failure. There's no room to learn. You were just supposed to have this figured out ahead of time. It's like I'm done. Yeah, I I, I can't deal with that. Yeah, and I think that's very important for us to to remember as we're we're making disciples is that yeah they're gonna <laughs> the 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 attempts might look like flailing at first, uh, and that's fine. Well, they will. They've never done it before. Right, they've never done it before. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just think that keeping, being the encourager, being the cheerleader yeah. is so important in this step of discipleship. Yeah. Because people are going to fail more than they succeed in this. Yep. That's just, that's the nature of it. Yeah. But it's keeping at it. Yeah. Good. Well, that's, a, I think, a great place to leave off in our discussion. Uh, about consecration or obedience, as we could call it. Next week, we'll look at impartation and how Jesus gave himself away, how we pour out our lives um, for those that we are ministering to. So thanks, Dad. Thank you, Jeff. This was helpful. We'll start our side podcast on sports <laughs> at some point in the future and try to keep the two separated, but uh, I don't think it's possible. Because there's such a market for that. There's such a market for <laughs> pastors opining on, about on Bay Area sports. sports. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but in any case, we will be back to do this one way or the other. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.